But um, but as I did, I also realized that the ocean really didn't look the same as my five-year-old memories, you know, uh -huh. reminded me that it did. And um, the coral didn't look the same. The fish numbers weren't the same. So many things like that were just in your own so lifetime. In your own different. lifetime, yeah. Yeah, and I noticed that even the spots that I dove as a kid were so different, and um, and that was shocking to me. And that I think is what just really filled me up with a bunch of questions of why. Everybody, welcome to uh, the Sea Has Many Voices. Uh, this week, I'm really excited. That I guess is the. the uh, not the dog here, no. <laughs> Kimmy, Kimmy Werner, uh, a world-renowned freediver, sustainability, truth seeker, uh, thoughtful person that I've heard a lot about and read about and was introduced to me by my good friend Porter uh, Trimble, who's a familiar guest on the show. And uh, thank you for spending a little time with us today in Hawaii here at, at Porter's house. And we were able to grab you or get a little bit of your time during a uh, a chiropractic treatment, which you're welcome to continue to do. Um, and uh, yeah, we, um, uh, I've been, uh, I love free diving myself. Uh, I'm a more of a scuba guy, but I've, you know, done a bit of it. And uh, my favorite, one of my favorite movies is The Big Blue. Yes. Do you like that movie? Of course. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Is that, it's kind of like a, one of the holy grails for free divers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it is better down there. <laughs> well, there's, there really is something about, tell me in your words, I mean, I mean, I can tell you how I feel about it, I'm so excited about it, but there's something about being down there. What, what, what is it? Is there any way you can, like, put I it in? I mean, I think, I think for me with free diving and going to, to the depths of the ocean, it just, um, it's such an inward journey. I think that's why I like it so much is because in traveling, you know, away, away from air, yep. uh, just on, you know, your own single breath that you're holding, I think that there's just so much mental journey of just letting go and, and trusting and relaxing into what could be fear. But I also just, I think my favorite part is just once you pass that point of your neutral buoyancy and you become negatively buoyant, and then you can stop kicking, and then the ocean just feels like it's just sucking you down, and you can feel the pressure squeezing you more and more and more. There's just something about that feeling that I, I mean, I've never, I've never felt it anywhere else, and it's just like, it's just like this big pull pulling me home, and this big hug at the same time, <laughs> and um, being able to look up and see how far away that light is, but to see it flickering on the surface—that's my favorite part about it. You know, a lot of our listeners uh, won't even won't really know what free diving is, um, but it's uh, it's breath hold diving, um, and uh, it's what it's what it's what dolphins do, it's what whales do, it's what seals do, and uh, amazingly, humans are pretty good at it. I mean, if we allow ourselves to, and there's a there's a lot of similarities in our physiology that uh, mimics marine mammals. Uh, we have a lot of the things called, uh, this is for our listeners, obviously not you, but the mammalian diving reflex. And mammalian diving reflex is basically a system where your heartbeat will slow down, your circulation of blood to your extremities will be restricted a little bit, and it, it extends the amount of time that you can spend 
at depth. Um, but what I wanted to ask you, Kimmy, is uh, uh, there are dangers associated with free diving. Uh, most the one that I think of is shallow water blackout. And, uh, because when you, the deeper you go, the less you feel the need to breathe because the CO2 is not sensed. What, what is that thing? There's something in, how does that work? There's something in our blood that measures CO2, right? Is that uh, is something I don't know that triggers the breath reflex? Right, well, and I think, um, I think the, the less CO2 you have, then um, the more you're not gonna feel that urge to breathe. Right. You know? Um, but I mean, at the same time, and I think it's also when you're, the deeper that you go, you know, the further down, um, any movement you make, it just burns yeah. so much more oxygen than yeah. it would at a shallower atmosphere. Right. And so what you can do at 30 feet compared to what you can do at over 100 feet, it's, it's going to have a different cost. You right. know, even if it's just swimming from me to you, even if it's just moving my arm. Like, right, right. Like any, anything I do at depth is going to use so much more oxygen than it would at a higher atmosphere. And right. So, um, you know, and then along with that, when you're coming back up and, and your whole compressed body and your organs all start to expand, they, they start to kind of, you know, suck that oxygen back into those extremities and into those other places. And so uh. when you get up, and this is why I believe it's called shallow water blackout, because usually it, you know, you do get into trouble in the depths because right. of how much you burn, but you don't normally feel the effect until you're right about by the surface in shallow water. And I think another reason for that is because, um, you know, as you get up towards the surface, everything starts to expand. And when your lungs expand, they, you know, suck the oxygen oh. back into it, which oftentimes um, sucks it right out of your brain. That's funny, but yeah, when your lung, lungs expand, they oftentimes just suck the oxygen back into them and can take it right from your brain, and that's when it just lights out. Have you, has that happened to you? Actually, it hasn't. No. I, it's happened to um, to dive partners, and, oh, and so you've... I've definitely saved people from shallow water blackout, but... Um, that's one of the cardinal rules, isn't it, with free diving? Is you always want to be with somebody, yeah. for partly for that reason. But right. um, um, but that's that's one of the things that I've always loved about getting down deep is uh, when that urge kind of begins to dissipate. Right. And I know exactly what you mean about the energy. It's like I, I'm also a dive instructor, and I, used, I always have this thing where I, I haven't taught for a thousand years, but I used to start off my class going, "How long can you hold your breath?" Right? And everybody would say. Uh, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, I said, well, within the next hour or next 10 minutes, you're going to be doing it for two minutes. And all I would do is put a mask on them and have them relax and hold on to the side of the pool. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you let your muscles relax, you stop burning a lot of oxygen and you can, you know, your breath uh, lasts a really long time. But I know that's not the reason that you have chosen this path in, in life from what I've gathered. You're on kind of a mission uh, to, which I think I, 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 I share with you in some ways, and this show definitely shares with you, which is, uh, you know, how are we going to make our way forward on this planet, this small planet, traveling 67,000 miles an hour around the sun with, you know, this little, I was looking at a picture of the Earth the other day from the shuttle, 
And you know, when you look at the Earth from a certain angle from space, man, that atmosphere is like razor thin. And that's all we've got between us and the outside space. And it can really show you how easy it is that we've tampered with it, you know, with our with the pollution in the in the atmosphere. So, um, what what how do you how do you fulfill your mission, or what do you what's important to you, or is it uh, communication? I mean, you're really good at that. And what what's uh, why are we here? <laughs> you know, I, I think that, um, gosh, I think that that answer is going to be a little different for everyone. I do just think that when it comes to us as individuals, we all have, in a way, like a different reason, a different calling, a different specialty. Um, and it just kind of starts with examining ourselves, examining our choices, examining um, our passions and all of that and and not not stopping that um, you know when I first started free diving like it was just um, you know for food it wasn't an environmental reason it was just that um, that's how my dad fed us when we were really kids. Can, yeah. can you go back to that I'd, sure. I'd like to hear that yeah. part of your, your story because I've heard that I read about it in your uh, in your material is your you said you started for food, mm -hmm. so um, your family. Yeah, if you could share with yeah. us that. Yeah, when I was when I was really little, when I was like, you know, up to the age of maybe seven, uh, my family was really poor at the time, and we grew up on Maui in Haiku, and my parents both worked, but they just didn't make a lot of money. Um, and so to feed us, my dad would go spear fishing to put food on the table, and. A lot of times when he would do that, my mom was working as a waitress, and so he would just kind of have to take me with him. Uh, so I was about five years old when he introduced me, he says maybe four years old, to that underwater world. And um, it all started off with him just kind of towing me along on a boogie board uh, while he would try and go get dinner along the North Shore. Um, but I always ended up splashing off the boogie board and wanting to just watch whatever he was doing, and so soon he stopped bringing it. And it was just basically my job to keep up with him, just to keep up, and um, and it was great. Like I just, I absolutely loved it. I just loved everything about that world. Like it just made me feel so tiny, and I had never seen, you know, such creatures, such colors, and and then just I put in my orders for dinner and watch my dad go down and bring <laughs> back to me. It was just the most satisfying thing ever. Um, and so that was our life, you know, and my dad did that part of it. And when we'd come back, my mom was the one that would always teach me, you know, how to clean the fish and how, how we'd prepare it. And just the, you know, I mean, I guess in a way I didn't understand I was learning all this environmental stuff because she was the one that just taught us um, just not to waste and to always respect where it comes from, not to take more than we need, you know, um, and that even just like, the guts or the scales can be used to then fertilize the same plants that grew and nourished us and so in her own way she was really the one that kind of taught me about the harmony of nature and I guess our place in it. Um, but that didn't last very long. Soon my parents both started making pretty good money. They, their hard work paid off. My mom at 41 um, saved up enough money to go to the Maui Community College. She got a nursing degree. 
and um, and my dad's construction company actually became successful, so they both ended up having really you know nice careers, and um, and we moved out of the boonies into a subdivision and lived a very civilized life, yeah. um, getting food like how normal like, people like do. normal people do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, well, of course, the way you were getting it though is how. Normally, humans have gotten it for maybe 200,000 years. Totally, and yeah. I was already so, like, in love with that way of life that yeah. it was very, very, felt very unnatural for me to change. And even though I knew I was supposed to be happy and proud and now we could, you know, go to a school and get nice clothes and um, get food from stores and restaurants, I remember just not understanding it and not like feeling like it didn't make sense. Mm. I didn't like store-bought eggs. I missed crawling under the house every morning and visiting the mama hens and you know mm -hmm. just taking what I needed and whatnot and I just I, I felt like that food was almost just so fake and I just didn't understand things and it took a while but um but of course you adapt um and I got used to this modern way of living and grew up that way and then it wasn't until I was 24 years old, and um, by then I had been living on Oahu. I moved here at 18. Uh, I went to a community college myself. I got a degree in culinary arts. Food was always my thing. Yeah, I saw that. You've got yeah. a, your culinary uh, uh, um, uh, background. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and I think at that point I just I just realized like man, like if this is going to be it for the rest of my life because now I'm out of college, I have my job yeah. in the restaurant industry, I'm like, I'm just not not that happy. And um, the more I kind of did some soul searching of why, the more I just got back to, again, those really early old days and um, and how special they were to me. And I think my, my whole life, I kind of just wrote that off as nostalgia and as something that I was so lucky to experience. but. It no longer exists in a modern world, and um, and then after a while, I was realizing, you know, maybe it can, and maybe it could, and maybe I have to stop just daydreaming about it, and actually just go see about it. And so that was when I got a three-prong spear, and I was living in the city at the time, but I drove out here, uh, not too far from here actually, and I just swam out by myself. I didn't have any dive partners at the time. Anytime I met somebody and asked them, I didn't, you know, didn't get any phone calls. So finally, I just went, and it's um, kind of gutsy. <laughs> it was. It, it was. I mean, when I tell the the story of that first dive, I mean, I have to admit that as soon as I got out of the car, I just felt like anxiety. And I remember walking across the beach with this three prong and seeing people look at me, and I felt like embarrassed because I knew that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and then I got in the ocean, and it wasn't even a nice day to be out there diving, and I just felt more anxiety and more anxiety. And um, I just was swimming, but just like, it was just really becoming apparent to me that this could all be a mistake, and I just don't know what I'm doing. And um, <laughs> And the one thing that was really cool about that day, That's usually when you're onto a good idea, I found. That's so true, right? Like if you yeah. don't feel that anxiety and those nerves, you're yeah. probably not doing enough. But, um, right. but yeah, right when I was about to turn around in the distance, this white cap just kind of broke. And when it broke, I saw bubbles. And when I saw bubbles, it just immediately calmed me down. And it's, it was this triggered reaction from back when I was five years old because, like I said, my job was to just keep up with my dad. Uh -huh. And sometimes I'd get distracted and see a turtle and I'd look around and my dad would be out of sight. 
and I'd feel so scared and I'd always have to kind of put my head under the surface and look at the very edge of my vision and if I could see the bubbles <laughs> left by his fins, <laughs> it was just an immediate like street sign of comfort of swim that way uh -huh. now. Uh -huh. And oh. so that's what I would do whenever I wasn't doing my job of keeping up, I would just like really look because he wouldn't wait, but <laughs> I'd really look for the bubbles. And that was where I knew to go. And so the funny thing is that even as a 24-year-old woman, um, yeah, when I saw those bubbles, it calmed me down. I'm like, oh, swim that way. Even though, obviously, it wasn't my dad. Um, but I just kind of started using that as a trick to, to trigger this sense of relaxation mm. and calm just enough to keep going and um, and eventually I did I came across this little reef and I looked down and I saw the little fish that I knew by heart you know not the ones that I was cooking with in the restaurants that were frozen and coming in from afar and whatnot but just the fish that I used to watch my dad get and help my mom clean and um, after a whole bunch of trial and error that day I just tried and tried and tried and I came out of the water um, with about five five of these little fish. What kind were they? They were uh, an assortment of, um, of fish that kind of like live in little caves and shadows. Um, so there was um, Mempachi, a veil veil, Kole and a Hole Hole. So basically it was squirrel fish, tangs, um, and just fish that don't get much bigger than this. but. Um, but I brought those home and I cleaned them and I cooked them and it was just like the most satisfying feeling that I ever had. And, um, and one thing I also noticed is just walking out of the water that day, I just felt so different from when I walked in. I just yeah. felt like this is it. This is it for me. Like this is what I want to do. And, um, and it just proved to me that, you know, even living in this modern world, that if I put in a little more effort, um, all those things that I loved about about the old ways, they don't have to be nostalgia. You know, they I can find a way to incorporate them into my life. And um, and it just really changed my life. It really, really did. Um, sometimes, you know, after that, when I started showing up at barbecues with my own fish, I started then getting all the phone calls and people who wanted to dive with me. and. All, every dive partner I met, I learned so much from, and soon I got better and better. And and um, and then when I had fish to share, like I'd be really selective with who I shared it with because I experienced it before, where you know I'd give someone a fish, and then later when I check up on how they cooked that fish, um, which is important to me because I I care about the you know the follow through. Yeah. If they if it sounded like they didn't it, it was still in their freezer or they weren't really planning to do much with it, like I just be like, okay that person's not getting fish from me anymore, <laughs> you know. And so I really became selective, even if I had to drive across the island to get it into the hands of somebody who I knew would appreciate it, and without even trying to um, the effect the you know what happened is that I ended up choosing people who truly cared about nature's resources, and. And what I found is that in the weeks to come, I'd have avocados at my door or chicken eggs, you know, or garden greens. And so before I knew it, it was like, I felt like all these old ways of like, you know, the olden day ahupua'a system of just people sharing from mountain to ocean. You know, when one person's mango tree goes off or avocado tree goes off, that's just too much for them mm, to mm. possibly eat. And um, and everyone is kind of giving um, what they could. It really just started forming this more 
sustainable. But at the time, all I knew was, you know, this more quality of happiness when it came to life. And um, so that's why I got into it. But, um, but as I did, I also realized that the ocean really didn't look the same as my five-year-old memories, you know, uh -huh. reminded me that it did. And um, the coral didn't look the same. The fish numbers weren't the same. So many things like that were just... In your own so lifetime. In your own different. lifetime, yeah. Yeah, because once I knew I had this thing, I obviously then wanted to go back to Maui and go to the same spots. And, and I noticed that even the spots that I dove as a kid were so different. And, um, and that was shocking to me. And that, I think, is what just really filled me up with a bunch of questions of why. And, um, and so... So as I continued diving, you know, and got better at it, it allowed for me to travel. I was able to ask a lot of questions to, to a lot of different people all over the world, really. And um, whether they were fishermen or scientists or whoever, I just wanted to have these conversations and, um, and learn. And that was when I just learned about so many things that I wouldn't have even thought of. You know, I wasn't thinking about climate change. I wasn't thinking about microplastic pollution or mm. watersheds and runoff and overfishing and and just you know how everything affects everything industrial yeah. farming it's like everything like it was just so complex that it was overwhelming at first um it was like almost hard to connect the dots but the more that i had these convers conversations the more i realized like yeah how many issues and challenges our earth and you know and therefore of course our oceans are facing and um and again yeah it was overwhelming but it also it also just made me then just connect more and more and more dots and realize that it all just comes back to to the decisions that we make you know as a society and as an individual and um and i realized the first thing i can do is try to at least make my own individual decisions a little more in harmony with the places that I love. Mm -hmm. And um, and so if that meant figuring out, you know, how to try to eliminate as much as I could single-use plastic, how to, you know, do more to not contribute to climate change, how to protect our watershed, all of these things, um, that's what I was going to do. and. And if I could use my voice or, you know, or the images that, that we create to kind of just talk about this, Fantastic, you know? yeah. Yeah, not, so just what not we need, too Kimmy. much of a preachy way. It's or, just what we need, yeah. Yeah, or in a doomsday way, but yeah. in an empowering yeah, way. Yeah. That's the only way that I get motivated. No, I'm with you. you know? I'm with you. I love your story, and you're, you're right on track. You know, you, um, you, you described... Uh, 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 you, you really grew up with with an it's really an indigenous kind of uh, mm. relationship with the ocean and uh, uh, lifestyle where the ocean was kind of you know I uh, I want to introduce you to uh, he's he's actually here behind one of the cameras Evie Tong mm. who's from Kiribati and he's a free diver uh, and lives the the life that you're you're talking about today and. Uh, in Kiribati, they call the ocean the refrigerator because exactly. most people don't have refrigerators right. there. So when they need fresh food, they go they go out to the ocean and get it. But I think these uh, the indigenous has become a very popular topic now in world affairs yeah. that I'm a big 
supporter of. I think that there are uh, indigenous value systems, indigenous knowledge that are scalable yeah. to the world. And, you know, I didn't always feel that way. I used okay. to feel like indigenous knowledge and value, I thought it was important and it was, I respected it, but I kind of thought it belonged in a museum, you know, something mm -hmm. that you'd like look at. But I now have learned that many of these these practices are scalable, yeah. like the sharing you talked about. Imagine if the world, what, what is the term you used in Hawaiian? You called it a... <coughs> the ahupua. Yeah, yeah. What is that exactly? It's a land division yeah. from mountain to ocean, where, or basically <coughs> from the mountain to the midlands to the ocean. Um, that's how the, you know, these, these mokus, these lands were kind of divided. And, um, and people would... I don't even want to say trade, but they would share, yeah. and so and so it was just such a way to feed a community um, sustainably. Right. So if someone had work. more than they needed, they'd share mm -hmm. it around. Yeah, and I, I learned uh, that from uh, my anthropologist friend uh, Jared Diamond told uh, Christine and I uh, yeah, the co-producer of the show. Papua New Guinea, huh? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a good friend of mine, and yeah. he's, he's on the show, and he's a fellow oh, cool. fellow guest that uh, the, the Pacific Island uh, communities are called renunciative societies. And I said, what's renunciative mean? <laughs> he said, it's renouncing your ownership of things to the community. And I said, oh, you mean like giving stuff away? And he said, no, no, it's different. He said, it's like you never owned it. You, it's, it's, uh, and it has a lot of uh, important implications. It, uh, it, it, it de-incentivizes taking too much because if you're only going to pass it on, why build up a, a warehouse full of fish? Right. And it also takes care of people in the community that don't have enough at the time. And it begins to smell a little bit like communism or socialism or something like that, but you know, it's not. It's something else. Mm -hmm. And it's those kind of value systems that evolved, I think, in a very uh, almost Darwinian sociobiology way, right? The societies that had those principles and those practices are survived. Those that didn't, didn't survive. And I, I've become a, a believer in looking and studying and trying to find out which of these are scalable and which ones maybe should end up in the UN in, 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 in treaties and in conventions. You know, some of these some of these ideas. Renunciative or sharing is just one of them that I'm thinking right. of. And then there's the another one here in Hawaii that uh, uh, Christine and I read about called the, the Law of the Broken Paddle or something. It was about uh, uh, it had to do with uh, not allowing freedom of passage and not Beating some, do you know the story? It's, just, it's not ringing a bell. Okay, I'll, I'll look it up after the show and send it to you. But it's a, uh, anyway. I love the, I love your connection to that. Now, now you've woven it. It sounds to me like into your quote modern world, right. and uh, and helping uh, pass on passing on that knowledge to to people. Um, and that's what we need to do because first of all, most people haven't been in the ocean, <laughs> and very very few people dive, and then a very fewer sector dive. Uh, like you do, and I, so I think uh, you're 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 like an ambassador, and you know your your message really, really does need to get out there, and uh, and I really applaud what you do. But I I also noticed looking through your material that you run into uh, uh, a lot of interesting animals, and I saw you with some sharks. Um, can you tell me you any of that kind of part of it? The sharks. I mean, it's well, I mean I'm a, I'm a scuba diver, and I, I I'm pretty comfortable with a tank on my back. 
But when I'm free diving, I, I'm a little bit less comfortable when it comes to sharks out there. I mean, how do you deal with that side and of it? And for me, I'm the exact opposite um, because I'm a, I'm a free diver. And so when I have scuba gear on my back, um, I feel like I almost lose my language. I don't know how to, like for me, <clears throat> when it comes to, to whether I'm, you know, trying to hunt, an animal or whether I'm trying to interact with an animal or whether I'm trying to get away from an animal um, body language is my language and um, and the language I speak is freediving and so a lot of times when I if I have a tank on my back I don't feel like I can speak as clearly whereas with freediving I feel much more um, I want to say in control, but I just feel, yeah, much more comfortable with that. And so sharks are something that that I just kind of had to had to start getting comfortable with because, you know, in free diving and in spear fishing, you're going to come across them. And and at first, you know, if a big tiger shark were to come and steal my fish and rip my gear out of my hands, like. I would just that happened that happened to you. Yes, and, and my heart would just like beat out of its chest, and I just would like want to swim backwards and get as far away from it as possible. Um, and then it, you know, and then after a while, it it, it happens again and again, and um, <laughs> and then and it's like, well, give me my fish exactly, back. <laughs> exactly. One time I was. Um, I was diving in Palau, actually, which I think that they're also just a really, really great um, nation when it comes to being leaders of ocean conservation as well. Um, but, but I had speared this fish that I had worked so hard for. You yeah, know? I was yeah. So selective. I just wanted this one fish and and really worked my butt off for it. And when I was coming up, there were just all of these sharks, just like just starting to like close in on it and I just was pulling this fish up before I knew it that whole thing of just wanting to get away from them was gone it was just I wanted that fish in my hands ASAP and I started pulling it up faster and faster and the sharks started coming up to me more and more before I knew it though I just grabbed my fish and I just swam at them because I was just so not ready to let this meal be taken from me it was just like this hunter's instinct that just took over but as soon as I changed and I'm not just like saying like oh this is the formula it's going to work every time of course they're wild animals and there's always going to be a risk involved but that day for whatever reason something in me just clicked wow. and I was not ready to just let well, my fish become shark food and as soon as I did that they just they changed too and after that I'd shoot fish and those same sharks would kind of come and I just look at them and they'd say okay and that's one thing I noticed about about most sharks you know and everyone like I said it's a wild animal it's different um, you can't just make this cookie cutter application mm -hmm. but um, but it's every single time I would just become too submissive not only would they take my fish but they would be like a bully to me after that and come around and be ready to take my next fish and come around and be ready to just kind of like butt me and push me they're like the bully you know in school but the minute i stood up to myself yeah then it was like okay like wow I'm, I'm impressed i'm impressed yeah i, I my hat's off to you I, I i have experienced you know you got to stand up to 
uh, a shark, but uh, I, I've never ever, I don't think I've ever been able to do it like you have, so my hat's off to you <laughs> on your, uh, you know, and I, I want to, I'm going to uh, take a break here on the See As Many Voices uh, podcast, but I would like to come back and talk about a couple things you've said where you really are exhibiting to me, I'm hearing you talk about senses that I only think marine animals have, marine that you've picked up yourself. Uh, but uh, we'll come back after after a break and for the CS Many Voices here with Kimmy Werner this week. Thank you so much, Kimmy. Thank we'll you. come back. Yeah. <laughs> 